Good afternoon, church. Today, uh, we'll be going back to the uh, book of Titus and complete the study in the salutation or the introduction part of the letter to Titus. And it's not only to Titus, but it's also to the church on the Isle of Crete. So uh, just keeping that in mind, if you remember from our earlier study of this introduction in the book of Titus, we noted that it's arguably the most detailed description Paul gives him of himself in, in this salutation. Every salutation was, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ, and uh, then uh, to the church or to, the, to whoever the uh, pastoral epistle was to. But uh, in this one, he goes into a lot of detail about himself uh, and uh, more than any other of the letters. And uh, that made me ask a question. I started asking questions last week about, uh, or last month, when I, the last time I preached about why uh, Paul uh, or God said certain things. I'm asking the question now, why is Paul putting so much detail in his uh, um, description of himself uh, what was the purpose and, and what really is the, the Spirit's purpose in uh, causing Paul to introduce himself in this manner? Uh, why did God inspire him to do this? Well, we know it wasn't for Titus. Uh, the letter was to Titus, and it says that in verse 4. Uh, but it wasn't uh, for Titus' sake because we know uh, he knew all these qualities about Paul. Titus had been with Paul since uh, he came to salvation during Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, he'd been discipled by Paul pretty much up since then to this date. Uh, uh, and uh, so he had gone from being born again under the ministry of Paul to uh, being discipled with, uh, by Paul probably to the same extent that Timothy was, and those are the two number one uh, disciples that uh, Paul uh, had in the New Testament. So uh, Paul trusted him uh, extreme, uh, extremely well to do whatever job he put him uh, in, in his place. Uh, and as a matter of fact, a good example of that is an extremely sensitive uh Situation with the church in Corinth. That was a, a hot mess, as Nathan has been teaching us and preaching through 1 Corinthians with us. And he was sent there to straighten out uh, a lot of things going on there. So, you know, if he trusted him to straighten out that out, he trusted him pretty much uh, to the fullest. Uh, and the reason Paul could trust him is that he knew his heart. Second uh, Corinthians uh, eight sixteen gives us some insight into this. It says, "But thanks be to God who put the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. He knew that Titus had his heart, uh, and then uh, and he knew he was able to do the job." He says, "We've sent them uh, our sent them with our brother." Whom we often, whom have oft, whom we've often tested and found diligent in many things. See, Paul had seen Titus in action and put and seen him be put through the test, and he was able to to do the job and do it well. Uh, and he knew he was dependable because in verse Second uh, Corinthians uh, eight, verse twenty three, as for Titus. He is my partner and fellow worker among you. You know, you're not going to uh, have somebody working for you that you you don't think is uh, has the same thoughts that you have in mind about how to do things or how to uh, or be able to do the job that you want them to do, and you know that they can follow through with it and get it done. Well, in church affairs, he knew that Titus could do it. He'd seen, he'd seen him and he was tested. Uh, and as far as the church on the Isle of Crete, that was a fledgling body. Uh, uh, now, Paul writes the letter to Titus, but this letter is to go with Titus to all the churches on the Isle of Crete. And in the process of going to the churches, this letter would be read 
to them, and it was a pur for several purposes, but it was a, really a, a small guidebook on how to develop and run a church. And so in this introduction, he's introducing himself as given his authority as an apostle of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also he's introducing Titus as his son in the faith, as you'll see in, in verse 4, so that they'll realize that uh, the guy that's taken over for him to help him in developing these churches is capable of doing it, and it was just like Paul sending himself to them. So uh, uh, so the churches on the Isle of Crete, they needed leadership and training. That's what this whole uh, endeavor is about for him leaving uh Titus and Crete, and uh, he just wanted to let them know that uh, Titus was Paul's ambassador, taking his place to do this job. Paul was giving uh, his character and commitment in the introduction of himself as a reminder of, of who he is, but also for them to realize that these same qualities were, were found in Titus. Uh, they not only needed teaching about church polity and ministry, but they also needed to have examples of Christians. These were just fledgling Christians that had no leadership and no maturity, and so they needed examples. Well, he was given the example of himself in, the, in this introduction, but he was sending an example literally of himself because Titus was just like him to these people so they'd have a, an example to, to look at. And, you know, examples... Uh, for us, there's the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words. That's what was coming for them. Titus was going to be that picture that's worth a thousand words. Plus, he had all the knowledge to go to back up that to teach them in all things. So in light of that backdrop this afternoon, we're going to finish this section of Scripture by putting it in context of Paul's life uh, and Titus, and put it in the context of Titus' life and hopefully in the context of our lives. So you remember last time, uh, well, first let's uh, read over Titus 1, 1 through 4 again, just to, as I know you just heard it, but uh, it helps me to look over it too. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. If you remember last... Uh, time that we were in this scripture, and if you were here, and if not, we're going to kind of go over it for you. Uh, we considered the phrase right in the middle of this passage uh, uh, at the end of verse 2, if you've got your Bibles open, kind of keep an eye on that, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Uh, it's, uh, and then when it says which God, who cannot lie, long ages ago, that last phrase, long ages ago, literally in the Greek means before time began. Uh, and when, you, when we were looking at this last time, the question comes up, God promised something long ages ago or before time began, to whom did he promise this before time began? And uh, we know he didn't promise it to me or you. We weren't around then. And as uh, best that we can understand with the information we got from the Bible, that angels weren't uh, uh, created till right at the time of creation uh, a little bit of information that makes me think that the first angels 
appeared about the time of when God created, uh, as he was creating the universe, and he got to the point where it says, uh, in the morning, and uh, the evening and the morning were the first day, the first, uh, that's about the time they were created, because it, in Job it says something about uh, the, the angels sang, uh, sang in the morning, and so they weren't around. That's the first mention of angels doing anything within human history or within creation history. So probably they were they were created then. So they weren't there uh, before time began, and we weren't there. And so, to whom was this promise given? And Paul gives us, uh, uh, or yeah, Paul gives us a uh, a little. Uh, clue into this in 2 Timothy 1 uh, and verse 9 and uh, you back up to 8 to, at the end you get that God is the one uh, doing this. God uh, who saved us and called us by a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which he granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. There's that same phrase again, before time began. And who is this promise to? It's between God the Father and his son Jesus. And what's this promise about? He's promising the son to give him a gift. Uh, uh, A gift of a redeemed humanity, uh, and uh, we went over that last time. And just uh, kind of an overview: the gift of a redeemed humanity that would forever and ever praise and glorify Him, and that was expressed in John chapter six and. Uh, Verse 37, it tells us, All that the Father says, gives me shall come to me. So see, there's the gift. It's a redeemed humanity. Uh, and the one that comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Verse 38, uh, For I have come down from heaven to, do not my, to not do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all he has given me, there it is again, I lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. And it, it's, and it goes on to say, for this is the will of the, the Father, that everyone who believes and behold, who beholds the Son, of, and the Son and believes in him, he may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then in 44 it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draw, and sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So here's the picture. In eternity past, God wanted to show uh, his love to the Son. And when we, want to lo when we love somebody, we want to give them something that as a gift, right? That's what, a, a great expression of love. And God wanted to express this love in a gift. And he wanted this gift to be something that would bring glory to his son and praise to his son forever and ever. And so he devised a plan to, to make a creation where there would be humans in it that would fall but need to be redeemed. And when they were redeemed... They would come to him and they would praise him and glorify him forever and ever. That's mind-blowing to me. But there's more. In John 17, uh, starting with verse uh, 2. And this is... Uh, 
God, uh, Christ high, he pre- priestly prayer before he was about to go to the cross. Uh, and back up to one, verse 1, it says, These things Jesus spoke, lifting up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. Even as thou hast given authority over, given him authority over all mankind to, and to all whom thou hast, there it is again, given me, he may give eternal life. Verse 6. I manifested thy name to the, to the men whom thou gavest me. There it is again, out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them to me, and I have kept them, and they have kept thy word. Verse 8. For the words that thou gavest me, I have given, them, given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. Verse 9. I ask on, on their behalf. I don't ask on the behalf of the world. That's just mind-blowing to me. He's not asking for the world. He's asking for those who were a gift from God. I, uh, I, don't, I ask on their behalf, not on the behalf of the world, but for, them, for those whom thou hast given me for they are thine. And then, and then it says, and all that are mine are thine, and thine are mine, that I have been glorified in them. I'm no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father. Father, keep them in thy name. He says, I was keeping them. Remember, he said, I'll hold on to them and I won't lose them. Well, there's going to be a moment of time when he's on the cross where he's going through something he'd never before went through as God the Father was separated from God the Son because he was carrying the sin of the world on him. And he says, I can't hold on to him for that one moment where we're separated. Would you please hold on to him, God? See, this thing is all set up where it, there's no way for us to slip through a crack. Is that not wonderful? And so uh, he says, uh, then he says in verse 15, he says, do not, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. See, he, there was a moment there where Satan possibly could have snatched those that belonged to, that were given to Christ away. And he didn't want to lose that precious gift that God was giving him. And then in verse 24, Father, I desire also whom, also whom thou, I desire also that they, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory, the glory that thou hast given me before, uh, for they all didst give me before the foundation of the world. See, he wants us to behold his glory so that we can praise and honor him. God for giving us as a gift to the Son, the Son for receiving that gift and holding us, and then us being able to see him in heaven and be with him forever and ever in glory. This is just mind-blowing to me. Uh, And... uh, Paul brings it up here, and he brings it also up in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, which uh, it says, well, back up to 6. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. See, this is the wisdom of God. 
this whole plan that he set up for us. It's really for his son, and we're just a, a byproduct of that with it, as it is. It's all about God and his glory. It's not about us. We just get the benefit of it because he's called us to himself. So as I was looking at this little fr- fraction of a verse in the very center of this introduction, I got to thinking, why did uh, Paul put this in the very center of this, uh, this mind-blowing doctrine of what God, how God orchestrated this whole thing of salvation for us? And uh, I told you uh, the last time we were talking how back years ago uh, somebody had challenged me about uh, the, the doctrines of grace and uh, redemption and uh, the points of, of Calvin that were argued uh, against the Armenians. And uh, I started looking into it, and when I, we were going to a church at the time where they taught probably two and a half to three points of Calvinism, and the others they were shake, real shaky on. As a matter of fact, they didn't agree with a lot of it. And so just uh, in that setting, that's kind of I believed what I heard. Uh, but when this person challenged me on it, I said, Okay, well, I need to to look into this. And as I read it and saw the argument between Calvinism and and uh, Arminianism, and it was just verse and the interpretation of each from either side uh, verses that backed up the points. Uh, I said, "Yeah, I, I, I'm leaning on the Calvinism side because it that gives God all the glory in all this." And so, as I was doing that, I started telling my wife Dottie about it. And she was blown away that I was starting to think that way. I was veering off the church doctrine that we would, had been under. And uh, she wasn't going to divorce me, but she didn't talk to me for several days about it from, from our, I could just tell it was not going well. And finally I said, well, just look at this doctrine from a sermon that was that I had heard based on, on on this part of this scripture here, where God had made the promise to the Son uh, for to give Him a love gift, and when she when she listened to that, because she would listen to John MacArthur, it was by John MacArthur, and when she listened to that, she, it just it just like opened her eyes to the whole thing, and and uh, she actually said uh, this. Until I understood this, I thought it was all about me, but it's really all about God. It really changed her focus on everything she did. I hadn't planned on doing this, but this was last year's uh, anniversary card she gave me. (coughs) And... uh, the reason I say I didn't plan it because I keep it in my Bible all the time, so that's a, a, a caveat to that. But this is what she wrote last year in their card. And when we discovered this doctrine and it started changing the way we looked at our walk with Christ and his love for us and all these things, um, that was 20 years ago. So this is what she wrote last year. This is how, what kind of impact it had. When God saved us, he was thinking of Christ and how blessed we'd be to love and serve and worship him for eternity together. I'm so glad to know it's not about us, but about him. Yet, yet he's allowed us to have this life together. A doctrine that has that much impact on somebody had to be put in the middle of this thing for a reason, I'm thinking. And uh, so I started asking the question, 
what was the purpose for Paul to put that one little phrase right in the middle of this introduction? Apparently, he knew about it or one he wouldn't have written it. And then I started thinking about what he was saying about himself through all this uh, uh, introduction. And his description of himself, uh, he's really showing the transforming uh, love of God, how that love for the Son that was shared with him in his salvation transformed him into a different person. So back to Titus. Let's just look through what he says about himself and Titus and see see how that fits. Uh, you remember on the Damascus Road, uh, just uh, for a little background, Paul was, was uh, breathing threats and murders about our threats and murder about to the uh, church and he was taken off to Damascus he got in a letter to go there and uh, arrest the believers and Paul was a man that was thought he was a man of God but really he was worshiping the law instead of God and so these people were not going according by the law according to him and so he thought he was doing the right thing. He was zealous to the max to do what, would, uh, what he thought would please his God, the law. And so he took off to do that. And remember, he was uh, uh, stopped and blinded. And he came to Christ or came to God. He says, what would you have me do, Lord? He already knew that this was the one who should be his Lord doing this. And then he was told later on that he was, uh, he was, he said, why are you uh, persecuting me? And, and saying that it was Jesus saying, you're persecuting my body, the church. But Paul uh, went on and uh, was told his job was going to be uh, to be a, a mouthpiece to the uh, Gentiles and that he was going to have to suffer much. So uh, at that transforming moment for him, Paul uh, remembers that uh, in in Titus, he says, Paul, he calls himself a bondservant of God. Uh, In that transformation, he went from being a bondservant to the law to a bondservant of God. A bondservant is uh, is a doulos or dulio uh, in the Greek, which is a person who is completely and absolutely assigned all personal rights over to the authority and the will of another person. That's the definition. To be in a permanent relationship of servitude to another. Uh, his, that's the person that's the the bond servant or slave, will altogether, will altogether uh, is altogether swallowed up in the will of another, according to Trent's definition. Not you, Trent, the other Trent. Uh, uh, the permanent surrender of personal rights in an attitude of total submission. Uh, If you remember in Matthew 22 and verse 36 through 40, uh, the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus uh, in error. And so they, they said to him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Putting him, trying to put him on the spot. And he said, and the, he said to the Pharisee, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the foremost commandment. And, and the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He's talking about love here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And that word love there is the word agape love. It's that unselfish, outgoing affection of tenderness for another without necessarily expecting anything in return. It seeks a person's highest good on the basis of decision of the will and the inclination of the heart. That love of God that redeemed Paul caused him to surrender all his personal rights. Uh, It was a permanent surrender. It was a total surrender. It was a surrender of, of love. He was willfully loving the Lord, expecting nothing in return, just just wanting the, the highest good. He wanted to worship and praise and honor and glory be given all of it to, to the Lord. So Paul was a messenger, uh, was a servant of love, but also he was a messenger uh, for Jesus Christ. And uh, it was the message of love. It was what Jesus had done for him. And for the rest of the world. Uh, And uh, it wasn't as if Paul uh, had an option in this. Uh, Paul knew he had to be this messenger because he was, uh, since his will was given over to the Lord, and the Lord said, you're going to be my messenger to the Gentiles, he knew he had no options. And... uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. No, not 1 Corinthians 9, 16. But I have the real verse written here, so just listen. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. See, Paul knew that he was going to preach the gospel no matter what. And if he preached it, that was a positive for him, but... If he didn't preach it, it would be negative for him when it says, but woe uh, is me if I do not preach the gospel. That means I know that I'm going to be in trouble with God. And uh, so if, he, if he's going to do it, he might as well uh, do it uh, and do it uh, with a good heart. And apparently he did because... He got the message down pat, and he he didn't want to disappoint his Lord, so he wanted to do it right. But Paul was not only a bondservant of of Christ by the transforming power of God and a messenger that had been a messenger that had been been empowered by the same love of God. Paul was also committed to a mission that God gave him. And the mission was uh, really an expression and overflow of his love for God, but that went out to, you know, the second commandment of the two commandments, and love your neighbor as yourself, went out to his neighbors. He wanted to take this love that God had given him to his neighbors. Uh, 
And so uh, his message is expressed in, in, in Titus. Uh, where it says an apostle of Jesus Christ there is him, he's the messenger there going out for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life there's the three parts of his mission the mission he was on was to go out for the hope of those chosen of, of God. That's the evangelistic portion of his mission. Paul goes out and shares the gospel with as many, everybody that he comes in contact with. He, he doesn't know who's going to be the chosen of God. Uh, I think it was Spurgeon said, I have to share the gospel with everybody. This is a paraphrase. Because there's not a yellow streak on their back that I can raise up their shirt and see who's the who's the saved and who's who's the chosen, who's not chosen. He says, so I say I preach it to everybody. Well, Paul was doing that too. He doesn't he didn't know, so he preached it to everybody. And then the chosen of God, when they hear and when and it's in God's time, they come. And when they come, Jesus receives them, and he doesn't let any of them go. So those are the ones that come from evangelism to a saving faith, which is their point of justification. And so, uh, just like uh, all of us, we don't know who, who the saved will be and who, not, who aren't, so our job is the same, to, to share with everybody. And Paul was committed to this evangelism of the whole world. In Acts 20, uh, 26 and 27, it says, Therefore I testify, this is Paul speaking, uh, Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. I did not shrink away from delivering to you the whole purpose of God. See, Paul didn't... Uh, he didn't let anybody get away from him. He, he witnessed to them all. And then he gave them the whole purpose of God or the whole counsel of God. And uh, that was really going to his second uh, phase of his mission. Declaring the whole purpose of God is, is that they may know the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. You, the evangelism leads to salvation which is their justification but now this is teaching them so that they know God know the truth and Jesus was the way the truth and the life right so knowing Jesus personally knowing Jesus according which is according to godliness the more you know Jesus the more you know God when you are a child of God, you become more like him. And the word know there is the word epignosis. Gnosis is just knowing about something. But epignosis is knowing something in a personal way, some, an experiential knowledge where you know him, he knows you, and there's a relationship going on there. That's the kind of knowledge he was wanting them to get as he taught them. This is where, you, where he was teaching doctrine so that those that had come to Christ, those chosen of God, could grow in what, they, what, they'd been, uh, what they'd come into by having a deeper understanding relationship between them and, and God and Christ. And that's the sanctification part of our, our walk in this world. We come to God, we're justified, just as if we had never sinned. And then we walk through this life as a new creature in Christ, and we're being sanctified as we go daily uh, until the end. And there's the, the third part of, uh, our third prong of his ministry uh, was uh, in the hope of eternal life. That was his 
his uh, uh, encouragement part. He wanted to give them an encouragement that would keep them going. Uh, And uh, when it says the in the hope of eternal life, uh, that's at the point where we realize someday we'll be glorified. So we're justified when we come to Christ. We're sanctified as we're walking here on earth. And one day we'll be glorified with him in heaven. Uh, that's where we're looking for that blessed hope. It'll, it tells us in Titus 2. Uh, 11 through 13 it says for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men not that all men are saved but it's out there for all men to hear about instructing us that's the ones that are saved to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteously and godly in this present age when you get away from sin you get closer to Christ Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you have your eyes set on Jesus and the end point of being him with him forever and ever, that causes some things to happen to us. First, it causes us to become moved towards holiness. And... Uh, in John 3, 3, 1 John 3, 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. So it moves us towards holiness. Then it moves us to, motivates us to service. Knowing one day that we will give an account for what we have done in this body, whether good or worthless, it motivates us to a faithful life of service. Uh, and everybody wants to, to hear one day, good, well done, my good and faithful servant, don't we? Uh, and then it, uh, give, it's, uh, it motivates us to endure. It gives us endurance. Uh, knowledge that someday we'll be delivered from sin and sorrow and sickness and pain and disappointment in this world uh, and, and its problems encourages me to endure most things, everything in life, I, all things will be getting me down. I thought, but this is this is my goal is on out there, and uh, so it encourages me in in suffering. Uh, and all of the, all of this, all this is from the salvation through the sanctification to the glorification. It says. Which God, and you could literally say, which comes from God, who cannot lie, uh, promised long ages ago. And uh, God had, by creating and preserving and orchestrating uh, with his omniscient and omnipotent and sovereign and providential power, So that at a set time, it says, at the proper time manifested even his word. This is the means by which uh, God uh, brought this gift to us. It was through his word. At God's appointed time in history... uh, and Adam, thanks for uh, our beginning verses of today. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Or I said that backwards. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of the scripture we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And God's plan... And on his assigned timetable, he made visual that's manifested 
the one that had been prophesied from the fall of man throughout all the Old Testament. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Everyone was looking for the king to make Israel uh, a powerful nation. Uh, But the mystery was revealed that Jesus came as a man to die in the place of everyone who would come to him by faith. Only God could come up with a plan to, to redeem humanity like this. It just goes against the dictates of the carnal mind. There's no way that we could come up with something like this. This is so far beyond anything we could imagine to, as a plan, but God did it. Uh, and so the sovereign king of creation commanded it be proclaimed to all men. And uh, that's uh, the method by which Paul was going to get this message out. When it says proclaim, that's preached. Uh, In the proclamation with which I was instructed according to the commandment of God our Savior... Word uh, proclamation is charisma. In the Greek, it's preach. Paul was sent as a messenger of God to preach his word, to preach Jesus as Savior, preach Jesus as sanctifier, as glorifier, as the one who would bring them to glory with him forever. He preached the whole counsel of God to all men. In doing that... uh, the chosen of God were justified and saved, and they grew in the knowledge of the truth and became more godly in that sanctification process. While all along being encouraged to persevere, looking at the blessed hope that they now have that hope of eternal life. And so... Paul was bringing the whole package to men. And uh, Paul ends his salutation uh, by naming the recipient of this letter. That's Titus. Uh, And it fits well because if he's out there doing that, that love brings men to Christ, doesn't it? And this is one of the men that Paul witness to so that he'd be justified through uh, in his salvation and then he discipled him taught him all the uh, gave him knowledge of the uh, word of truth so that he could uh, be sanctified as he was discipled and then all the time encouraging him with the the coming glory that he would experience. So he came to it by faith and grew in godliness and knowing the truth, uh, persevered in faith uh, in the hope of eternal life. And he calls it my true child in a common faith. Well, that's what the common faith is. The The whole package was there in Paul's description of himself. And, uh, When the uh, church in on the Isle, churches in Isle of Crete saw this, they were getting to see the whole package in a living man. And uh, Paul was saying, you know, you're my true child in the common faith. He was just saying to the to the church there, he's the real deal. Uh, watch him, listen to him. Uh, He says, I know I can count on him and you can count on him uh, because he's just like me. Years ago, uh, I went to uh, China Royal up here in in Bartlett. It was China Royal back then, a uh, restaurant uh, one Sunday after church. And I walked in in the foyer there. If you've ever been in there, there was this mirror instead of 
plate glass windows. It was just a mirror there. And I didn't realize it was a mirror. I was walking along, and in my peripheral vision, I got a glance of somebody there. And I, for a split second, I said, that's my dad. But it was me. <laughs> and uh, I thought, wow, I do look like my dad a little bit, or a lot. Because I, I thought for sure it was him. And as I've gotten older, I'm looking more like him all the time. And uh, I've even had, I remember my couple of my aunts, one from my father's side and one from my mother's side, both saying, Stuart, you look just like your, your dad, Kenneth. And, uh, you know, that's a compliment to me because I, I loved my dad and I wanted to look like him. And I, they even said uh, the things, the way I run my life and do things were, are a lot like him. Uh, he had a lot of quality, character qualities that uh, I picked up and uh, they saw that in me. You know, as Christians, we have a father, and we have a brother, and we should be, when people see us, they should see him. And when they see us doing things, they should see him doing things. That's what Paul was saying. You see, you know me, you've seen me. Now you're going to see Titus and see him. Now Crete, churches in Crete, you need to pick up the, the rope and be like us, being like him. And so do we all. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you've given us examples in Paul and Titus to show us that you loved us so much that you 